So we're going to invite uh, Chris to speak with us. And I'm going to pray for him, pray for us now before we uh, hear from him. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that you still speak. Thank you that you designed us for oneness with yourself. And that you, you, you press that stamp of approval on us before we, we come into being. That you look at us uh, as a concept before we're even formed in our mother's wombs. And, and you look at that concept and you say, I approve of that. I delight in that. That we are already approved. And Lord, as we, as we continue to, to be led through this dialogue of, of racial injustice, we long to hear your voices. As, as Marvin said last week, you, you are a, an extraordinary data source. You have an amazing amount of thoughts, wisdom, insight. So help us to see, give us eyes to see, ears to hear your voice in this. Thank you that you are revealing things that need to be revealed. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, Dylan and Sam, really great to worship, isn't it? Good to be with you this morning. Good to be with you here. And I'm Chris, uh, if we haven't met before. So, as Andrew said, we've been looking. We feel like this moment is a moment in history when God is revealing something around the world that he's seen all along, but is looking to address now. And uh, beginning, you know, George Floyd, uh, his killing was obviously a, a big catalyst to what's been going on. Uh, and, and, you know, we recognise, we think this is a God moment for us around the world to work on this. So we're deliberately sitting on it um, as a church uh, for a few weeks. We, I think the last three weeks and then this week. And then we're going to at least have uh, next week, Alice is going to speak in the week after. Fatima Sabanda is going to come and speak. She and her husband, Ossian, lead God's House Church in central Bristol. They're good friends of ours. And uh, it'd be great to have her perspective um, and her teaching. She's a wonderful teacher. So uh, that's that's the plan. We want to we want to sit in this, but we're conscious as well at the same time that uh, a lot of what needs to happen uh, in terms of change is is medium to long term. And as we've been listening to people and, and reading, and, and and you know, we're conscious that that the, the the systemic injustice affects things like housing, it affects the economy, jobs, uh, education, uh, employment, right across the, the whole board. And you can't fix these things necessarily overnight. Um, but we can change our posture overnight, can't we? And we can, and we can, and, we, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're saying that we recognise this is a moment to change, and we want to, we want to recognise stuff in ourselves, prejudices, uh, and, 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 and other sins and other blind spots in ourselves. We want to address those, and we want to be part of seeing the change in our city, in Bristol, um, and in the nation and around the world. You know, we, we want to be part of this. We recognise that that's what. Jesus came to bring. So um, this morning, I want to sit in a little bit in a passage um, around uh, how did Jesus deal with structural injustice? How did he deal with systemic injustice? And um, we're going to look at a, a passage in Mark 11 uh, this morning and, and look at how how he did that. And he's always our model, isn't he? He's our rescuer. He's our salvation. He's the one who, through his death and resurrection, he he. And putting his Holy Spirit inside us has given us the ability to connect with God. But he's also, in his life and his teachings, he's our role model. He's the one we aspire to be like, the one we learn from. And so we're going to learn from him this morning in terms of how he dealt with structural injustice in uh, in the society into which he lived when he was on earth. So it's going to be from Mark 11. And before we get there, just a bit of context, because, you know, 2,000 years on, the world's a very different place. And... Uh, 
the time into which Jesus was born and lived, uh, the nation of Israel uh, revolved around a a centre of worship, which was the temple in the heart of Jerusalem, in the middle of their nation. And uh, and sacrifice, blood sacrifice of animals as well as uh, crops was a key part of, of their worship. And that's pretty strange and alien to us today. But let me just give you a little overview. It was all, it was all prescribed in the book of, in, in Leviticus and the Old Testament law. And, um, as God's saying, this is the way that you can give to me. You can give to me from your, your costly animals, your precious animals as, as part of how you can worship. And, and actually in the, in the death of, a, of an animal, in the shedding of blood, that's a, a step towards forgiveness of sin and a step towards reconciliation between God and people. The temple system was never perfect. Hence, Jesus came to bring perfection. But that was how Israel operated. And so people would travel uh, from around the country, uh, certainly for the feasts, maybe just once a year, uh, they would, uh, at least. Uh, they would typically come to, to Jerusalem, the, the city, the capital, and they'd come to the temple and they'd offer um, sacrifices there. And that was, that was the, uh, the system and that was the way, that was the way it worked. Uh, but as we'll see in a minute, uh, there was some injustice factored into that system, and which Jesus addressed. And, and we're going to just look at that here and see how he did it. So if you've got a Bible, um, you could look at Mark chapter 11. And uh, these four Gospels, these four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We're going to look at Mark. They've all got this account in there, actually, each one of the four Gospels, which is an interesting thing. It shows us, you know, really how important these events were. And uh, we're getting towards the end of Jesus' time on earth here now in, in Mark. We're approaching the time when he gets killed. And in the start, we're not going to read this bit, but in, in the start of chapter 11, Mark 11, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and it's, it's a bit of a classic Sunday school image. So if you're in Sunday school as children, uh, you might recognise it. Palm branches, Jesus riding on a donkey. It's the moment when he's recognised by the people of Israel as being the king that they've been waiting for. And they celebrate him and they welcome him into the city. Um, and, and, and he comes in. And so, verse 11, we're going to start, pick up from verse 11 and then jump onto verse 15. So it says, he's coming to Jerusalem, everyone's welcomed him, they've recognised who he is. And, uh, verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he comes into Jerusalem, he's welcomed, he goes into the temple surveys the scene, looks at everything, but then actually goes away again for the night. And he goes and stays in this village called Bethany, which is, um, so, the, so the temple in Jerusalem is on a bit of a hill, maybe a bit like Hope Chapel here in Hot Wells. Uh, and then, and then uh, he went down the hill into the Kidron Valley, which is about like going down into the docks of Bristol, over, over the lock gate, and maybe up into Dundry, if you know where we are. Uh, maybe not quite that far, but uh, on another hillside was the Mount of Olives, um, where Jesus often spent time in a village there called Bethany, and he went and had the night uh, just over there. And then we're going to jump on to verse 15, and he comes back again the next day. And it says, uh, so this is Mark 11, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area. There we go. He's come to the place of worship. Is he going to offer a sacrifice? This is what he does. He began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the, the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. 
When evening came, Jesus went out of the city. So rather than coming to offer a sacrifice as we might expect, uh, or, 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 you know, or, or do the, the normal thing of worship in the temple, Jesus just, uh, he kicks off really. He's like a whirlwind in the temple. And, and probably to everyone's surprise, having, they just welcomed him the, the day before. And, but he just comes and throws everything over. He turns his money tables over. He scatters the doves and, and, and so on. And he, he causes chaos. It's quite a, um, it's quite an aggressive act in a way. Um, it's quite a, it's very physical. It's very practical, isn't it? Is that maybe, maybe different to, to what maybe society's simplification of who Jesus is might say to us? Actually, as we read the Bible, we see that this is, this is not a, this is consistent with his character. But often Jesus is made to be this sort of soft bunny, isn't he? That's, that's, um, but here he's pretty passionate. He's pretty zealous. And, um, and, uh, and what's interesting as well is, you know, the, the night before he'd been in the temple, hadn't he? And he'd been looking around, it said in verse 11. So he'd been surveying what was going on. And then he'd gone away, had a night, and then come back and, 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 and really just caused, caused chaos in the temple. Why does he do this? What, what is it that he's, what, what is it that he's doing here? Well, the, the, uh, as we said, the, the, the practice was for people to travel to the temple from different parts of the nation. Some of them would have lived in Jerusalem anyway, but others living in different parts of Israel. Jesus spent most of his, pretty much all of his childhood and his early years of ministry up in the north of Israel, up in Galilee, which is about 100 miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, so people would have travelled from places like that to worship at the temple. And when they did, they would the, the law prescribed that they would offer certain sacrifices for certain things. So if you had a certain skin disease, then you, as, as part of your praying and asking God for healing and cleaning from that skin disease, you would the, the law said you should you should sacrifice a, a dove or some doves. Um, if you uh, for other things, you might sacrifice a lamb or a or it had to be perfect and spotless lamb or a, or, a, or a goat or or you might bring some wheat. These are the sort of things that you would offer as they're costly things that you know your livelihood that you're you're giving to God as your act of worship. And obviously it's quite difficult to carry doves from Galilee down to Jerusalem or, or, or look after a perfect lamb all that way, you know, on foot traveling uh, that way. So what would happen is people would come to the temple and they would uh, purchase these, these, um, these animals for sacrifice. And the, but the problem was that the, the people selling the stuff uh, were, had a big old mark, it put a big markup on it. They'd, um, they were, Charging more for these animals than was than was just, and and also you talk about the money changes. What's that? They had um, a particular current local currency was the currency that was used to pay the temple tax uh, in that that everyone had to pay. And again, as people were changing their currency into the local currency to pay the temple tax, there was a really big exchange rate put on that. So these people were ripping off uh, the people that were coming to to worship. They were they were you know using extortion and had a monopoly in this. In this place, and they're, and, they're, and they're ripping them off. This is structural injustice here. What's more is the tables and the markets were set up in the what's called in the temple the court of the Gentiles. So only the Jewish people were allowed to go into the centre of the temple to worship. Uh, and, and again, that's a complexity which is worth understanding separately to now. But outside that, um, the inner courts were the courts of the Gentiles. And I'm a Gentile. Many of you will be Gentiles. People who aren't Jewish are called Gentiles. And uh, the courts of the Gentiles were where people who weren't Jewish could come and they could worship God. And this is where the tables were set up. Jesus said, I've made my house to be a, a house of prayer for all nations. But you've filled the place where the people who aren't Jewish are supposed to worship with, uh, with a market. You made it into a market. And it sounds like people might even have been taking a shortcut through the temple and carrying their goods and, and stuff to sell elsewhere 
and, and they just turn this place into a, into a place of selling and noise and chaos rather than the place of worship that it was designed to be a place where people could connect with God. And I expect that, you know, Jesus' disciples who came with him at this moment and others who'd, who'd, um, been to, who came to worship at the temple at the same time and had, like Jesus, done it through their lives. It had been a pattern. Um, you know, they would just expect this. This is just the way it is. You know, this is just, this is just normal. We always do this. We always come and we know that actually doves are pretty expensive in Jerusalem. Um, but, uh, actually I want to, you know, and, and actually there's a, there's a, a good thing about that. Isn't it? I want my gift to the Lord to be costly. You know, he's, he's, the, he's worthy of worship and something about worship is giving God something that's valuable to us. We, we, give, we give him our whole lives and it's appropriate to give him uh, something costly. So you can imagine people coming and, 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 and thinking, yeah, this is just what I do as part of my worship. Not recognising perhaps that those in authority there were ripping them off. And, and you know, I could imagine Jesus' disciples coming too and thinking, oh, who am I to... To, to challenge this. This is the way it always is. And these are, these are similar sentiments, aren't they, to those which we're recognising as we consider racial injustice uh, in our own lives, in a city, in the country, around the world. Um, if you get our fortnightly email and you, you heard Hannah's story um, that she shared uh, this week, then, you know, that's a, a part of this for me as, and us as we've been listening. We've been taking quite a lot of time to listen, particularly as white people, uh, you know, what we're hearing is that, that, is that life is, is harder for black people uh, in our city, in our country, around the world, than it is for, for others of us. Uh, and it's harder in, things, in areas that we're just not even aware of. We don't contemplate uh, challenges with authority or schooling or applying for jobs or some of the things that are battles that, that black people amongst us have to, and, and others as well, have to overcome as part of their normal life. So systemic injustice... And structural injustice is, is often hidden. And uh, we don't notice it, we're unaware of it, and we kind of think, who am, I to, who am I to change it? But then we see Jesus here. And on this moment in time, he, he addresses it, doesn't he? He, he deals with it. He, he comes in and he, and he, and he says, this is wrong. It's a costly thing for him to do. The crowd loved him the day before. Shortly after this, they want to kill him. Maybe this was the trigger. Uh, certainly a significant uh, milestone in them wanting to execute Jesus. But he, take, he, takes the, he takes it on. He addresses the injustice. And where does he go from here? Where does he go? What's his next? So he's, he's, he's called it. He's shown it. He's, he's upset this... This, this corrupt system, this polluted system that has become normal within the, 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 the worship of the temple. What does he do next? Well, pretty, pretty soon, just in a few days' time, actually he's killed, isn't he, on the cross. And he dies, and then we know three days later he rises from the dead. And interestingly, when he dies on the cross, one of the first things that happens is, uh, in the, so in this temple, uh, in the temple building, uh, right in the heart is the kind of, is the kind of manifest presence of God, the place where God lives on earth. Right now he lives in us as believers, but then he dwelt in a physical building. And, um, and there's this great big curtain, huge, I think, it's, I think it's colossal height, this curtain. And when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain, uh, the Gospels tell us, was torn from top to bottom. 
It was a, it was a divine sovereign act. The temple, the temple system finished then and there. It was, it was done. The sacrificial system that had been operating for centuries in Israel's history was, was, was finished right there. So Jesus, not only did he call it out in the, um, in that moment, uh, of turning the tables over, but then he, but then he completely undoes it and, and he undoes it by replacing it with a far greater, um, system. He's more than a system, isn't he? But he, but what he does in his death and his resurrection and sending his Holy Spirit to live in us is he, is he, uh, he doesn't just change the rules. The rules were, there's nothing actually wrong with the rules, was there, in, in many ways. And you, you might even argue that the people in, uh, who were doing the money changing and selling the doves and animals and so on, were they actually breaking the rules technically? I'm not, an, I'm not an expert in the sort of, in the Torah and the old law, but I, I don't know that they were necessarily breaking any specific laws. But they certainly weren't living the spirit of the law, were they? And they certainly didn't have the heart of Christ in the way that they were. They didn't have the generosity, the kindness, the mercy. Uh, what we see is a heart of greed and, and manipulation working through the system. And what Jesus has come to do and what he's done on the cross and the death and resurrection is he puts, he, he puts this, this new heart in us, a heart of flesh which, is, which, which, which can't stomach uh, corruption and evil uh, and brokenness. And its natural tendency instead is to overflow with goodness and life and justice. And, and, and mercy and kindness towards people. That is what Jesus came to bring. And that's what he achieved on the cross and the death and resurrection. So that brings a question, doesn't it? And, and the question is, okay, if the heart change is what was key and is what is necessary for humanity to live as God designed, then is there a place for, for kind of protest? Is there, you know, do we still, if the, if the turning the tables was just the sort of start of things and, uh, and didn't actually deal with the root of the issue, then, you know, what, what do we, do we still engage with these kinds of protests? Or is it a, uh, and, and I think this is an important question for us as the church to understand the extent to which God's work is just done in us and the extent to which we grapple with the world outside us. And I think uh, the answer to that we see in the life of Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a both. And I think probably partly, I don't want to look back negatively at the church in history, but I certainly reckon in my recognise in my own life that there can be a tendency towards inactivity on these things. I can tend towards thinking, gosh, the system is pretty terrible, and I can maybe see some of the problems. And it's a, and I need to sort of motivate myself, give myself some extra uh, encouragement, really, to look to address it. And so, and I, th- and I, and I would say, this is, you know, I don't want to judge the church, but I do want to, I do want us to own it if, um, if we've got things wrong. And I wonder if we as the church have been too passive, um, throughout history in, in addressing some of these things of injustice. What's wonderful now is it feels like God has put, um, momentum on this thing of, on this highlighting racial injustice. Um, uh, but, you know, could the church have been, and again, it's hard to look back at history, isn't it? But could the church have been more vocal during apartheid? I know many people were. Could the church have been more vocal during, uh, during Hitler's stuff and, and other areas? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And it's, and it's a tension that it's right for us to grapple with, I think. It's right for us to, right for us to go there. And of course, as we go there with that problem, 
and say, actually, should we be doing more? Then a whole, a whole world opens up to us, doesn't it? Of, of um, where do I stop? You know, you know, what is my responsibility? And I, 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 um, I was reading this week about um, lo- this is massive locust swarms that are just decimating parts of Kenya. Entire villages are having, entire field, uh, farms are being wiped out in a day um, by these locusts, and that's their food for the year. And, um, and I'm like, what can we do? This is, this is horrific, what's happening? Uh, what can I do? What's, what's my part in this? And I uh, um, just uh, saw a message from Sarah before church about, um, from, again from Kenya, and uh, we're connected from Ghana Island there, and uh, the coronavirus is, is, is growing there. There's, lot, again, lots of coronavirus there. But there are so many problems, aren't there, around the world? So many areas that, that, that need God's breakthrough. That's a, that, um, we, can, we can almost become sort of paralysed by, by and overwhelmed by all the things that there are to do. So the question is, what, what, what do we do about, about, about racial injustice? And I, and I think the answer is we, we, we go back and, and we look at the life of Jesus. I think it's both turning over the money tables... And recognising it's a, it's a culture change, it's a heart change that needs to happen from within us. And actually it's important that we, as the church, as Christians, take a lead on this. Because what we can, if we don't, and if we just stay silent, I mean Kirsten said last week, didn't she, that to, that to be quiet and to be silent actually is to be complicit. Uh, it's to not say anything, is a, is a, uh, you know, particularly as white people, to not say anything is almost to agree and to validate injustice as it happens. But we recognise that, um, that, that, that we don't do battle in the way that the world does, do we? We, we, we recognise there's a spiritual dimension to life here. But it, and, it, and if we just leave it to the world, then, then, then what happens is a power struggle. You know, we're joining in with the voices, aren't we, of the Black Lives Matter movement, saying that, um, saying that this needs to be addressed. But also, underlying the Black Lives Movement and at their root is a, is a Marxist political manifesto. And we, and we don't necessarily align ourselves to that political manifesto. Um, we don't align ourselves to any political party, first of all, as Christians, do we? We align ourselves, first of all, to Christ, to Jesus. He is, the, he is greater than any political ideology, which uh, all have good and bad, most of them have good and bad points. Um, so we as the church need to, 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 to bring to the world God's solutions to these crises and these problems. We're designed to partner with Jesus in his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just a power struggle. It's not just one political group fighting against another so that one can dominate, then the other one can. You know, these are the dangers of doing things in a worldly way. But actually, the way of Christ um, is, is to confront, is to stand up and speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. And Jesus went further, further really than anyone, didn't he? In that he went to the cross and he died for this. He inhabited, he got himself into the guts and the, and the practical realities of, of life on earth and the, and the tension of the world that we live in. And we need to do the same. We've got to roll up our sleeves and be involved in this. But at the same time, we do that. I, just, I wonder, just, just as you think about Jesus, what, what, what sort of posture do you think that he has? Have a minute on that. You know, in his attitude to this and his approach to this um, structural injustice with the temple system. Can you just have a, have a little think about what, what, how would you summarise Jesus' kind of heart, his approach, his posture? Can't really ask for any real-time feedback, but um, I wonder what what came to mind for you. Um, for me, Jesus has this kind of um, p- 
peaceful zeal or passion. There's a fire and there's a passion in him, but it's under control. And it's trusting in the work of the Father, in the big picture of what God's doing. He's really present and active and, and out there. At the same time, you know, the, 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 the calm in the storm, isn't he? And I think that's what we bring as Christians. We bring God's solutions. God, what's your, what's your work for us now? What's your, what's your strategy? What's your plan? What's your heart that you want to bring to the city? We want to see Bristol and beyond thrive and flourish, don't we? That's our goal. And that's what we believe happens as the kingdom of God comes into place. And it comes with the, the culture and the life and the presence and the goodness of Jesus pumping through the veins of this city. Kindness and generosity, laying down our lives for each other, giving to others in a way that's costly and, 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 and expensive to us. Preferring each other in, in these kind of radical, uh, bold ways because we know that uh, we are children of a God who loves us and is for us. These are the kind of ambassadors that we are. And this is the posture that we take as we look to address these structural issues. And I think, you know, so Jesus, I reckon I tried to do a little count yesterday. Uh, my guess is he went to Jerusalem at least 34 times in his life. Um, uh, so uh, he, uh, shortly after he was born, he was taken by his parents to the temple. And he probably, well, my numbers might be a bit wrong, uh, but he probably went every year um, when he was old enough to walk that far, 100 miles. Um, for the Passover feast at least. Uh, that would probably have been normal for him with the game with his dad. And, um, and then we know that in John's gospel, in the three years of his ministry, he went at least four times to Jerusalem. But it was only on this last time before his death and resurrection that he, um, that he physically took on the, the injustice. And I wonder what was going on the other times. You know, was he seeing it and was he praying and saying, God, what, you know, do you want me to do anything this time? Is today the time that I, that I address this and call it? Or, or not, and you know, he, and, he, and, he observed, and he observed that night before, after he'd come into Jerusalem, he observed the night before what was going on in the temple, and then he went back over the Kidron Valley uh, on the Mount of Olives to Bethany, spent the night there. And we know from where we, we see how he lived in the rest of the Gospels, we know that his pattern was to spend often nights in prayer or time in prayer, hear what the Father was saying to him, and then go away and do it the next day. So I bet the Father said to him. Uh, either that night or in, early in the morning when he got up before he went in. Maybe, maybe it was a more spontaneous thing. Um, but he, he was led by that. He did only what he saw the Father doing. He did what God said. So, they, so how, do we, how do we, in the face of so much injustice around the world, not just in, in, in race, but in all of these problems, um, I think the, the answer is that we, we ask God and we say, God, what do you have for us? What's the works you have for us? I'm conscious of myself. Um, the danger of just being passive and, and sitting back and not doing anything. And uh, this is a moment for us as a church to, uh, to step up. And uh, I know many of you are already um, praying about this. I've, I think God's given me a project which I've just been tentatively starting. I won't say what it is just yet. But, um, but hopefully to hopefully bring some, some substantial change, my part of the jigsaw uh, on racial injustice in the city. Um, what's your part? What does God say to you? And I, so I encourage you as a takeaway... Um, to, to be asking God, I know we are already, but be asking God, Lord, what do you have um, for me? What's your, your place, your part for me in this jigsaw puzzle of tackling uh, structural injustice? We recognise it's a, it's a long-term thing, that we can't just move on from this after when, when the focus on the news moves to something else. Uh, it's going to take, a, a lot of these things will take a long time to, to work through. 
um, uh, you know, changing our education system, changing our, how we do housing, changing how we do employment. Uh, these things will take some time. But, but we look at them now with fresh eyes. We're going to keep on listening. We're going to keep on uh, asking God to give us insight. Um, so that's the takeaway. I encourage you to ask God, what's the specific good works that God's called for you to do in this season? Andrew, do you want to finish us off maybe by leading us in praying along those lines? All right. Thanks, Chris. It's wonderful to, to be able to be reflecting on, on the bigger picture, to be informed, to be, and the, and the big thing that I'm picking up from Chris's message today is that it's about listening to people who are suffering the injustice and also listening to God to find not just his sentiments, but his, his instruction. And it's a deeply practical seeking of the Father to say, God, what, what do I do about this? And as Alice and Chris have, have really taught me since, since coming to hope that, um, obedience is not just hearing, it's doing and to follow it all the way through. So let's pray together now and really just ask God to speak, uh, to give us instructions of, of what to do. So Father, we, we bring ourselves before you and we say that, um, we don't want to be overwhelmed by the scale of injustice and we, we trust that your heart can handle um, instructing all the individual pieces, all the different people in, uh, in human society to bring about complete reformation and change. And so we submit ourselves to your wisdom and your leadership and we say as one, of, one part of, of the change that is needed and is happening, we ask you to direct us to to show us where to put our feet and, and what to do with our hands. How can we practically respond? Lord, would you speak? Would you teach us in this moment and help us to start moving in the way that you want us to move? So let's just have a moment of, of silence now just to give God a bit of space to speak to us. And the way God, God may be speaking might just be a, an idea that just pops in your head out of nowhere. It might be that you're reminded of something, uh, somebody, somebody or a situation that you were in where you thought about doing something but didn't. And maybe God's saying, go back and make that right. Maybe it's an organisation to support. It's just it's, God often speaks in little ideas, random thoughts. Uh, it might be a text message or something you see online that, that, that particularly stirs you. That always that God gets our attention. So I encourage you as we as we finish today, pay attention to the way that God is getting your attention, because um, we're responsible to be faithful with what He says. So um, it's been great being with you. Thanks again to Sam Dillon for amazing worship. Thank you to Chris for. For, for, for such a practical talk and, and really it's so helpful to get practical and um, we'll be back of course next week um, do do uh, connect with others from hope and, and and do also be thinking about how as as restrictions change and ease how maybe you could connect with um, somebody else from hope outside encourage somebody uh, people maybe who you know who are isolated or people you know anyone anyone just be practical with connecting with people um, as we're allowed to and remember that we are the salt of the earth it's been great to be with you and um, see you next time